it's funny, when I started thinking about this, I thought about, I used to spend a lot of time with my mom, especially as she got older. We had a pretty good relationship. And so one of the things we would do is we'd watch football. She was an avid football fan. Um, but the thing is, we'd go there, and you'd start watching the game. The game would, would, would start, and like the first or second play of the game, somebody would do something, you know, miss a pass or, or fumble, do any, whatever, any little thing. And she would immediately, I mean, it's the first or second play of the game. That's it. It's all over. God, turn it off. Let's get out of here. And uh, always. And we would laugh. And then after she passed, we watched the next, I don't know, probably a couple of years ago, we watched the next Super Bowl with Pastor Jenny and Tom. And Pastor Jenny's mom was there. And... uh, so we're sitting there, and the game's on, and it's not, not long at all, and all of a sudden, that's it! <laughs> it's done, it's good, what's going on here? I'm like, I'm home. This is great. And there's just something that gets in us that we get into situation, it's like, that's it. It's done. It's, just, it's, it's beyond, it's just nothing left. It's over. And uh, so I want to tell you, it's not over yet. I want to talk this morning in Acts chapter 20. Um, I'm going to read from verse 6 to verse 12. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and we came to Troas, in five days where we abode seven days. And on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them, ready to depart the next day. And he continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep. And he fell down from the third floor, and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, he had broken bread, eaten, and talked a long while, even till the break of day. So he departed, and they brought the young man alive, and they were not just a little comforted. (coughs) This... uh, this account in Acts, I want to set a little stage for it if I can. Paul is on his third missionary journey. He's heading back to Jerusalem from his third missionary journey. Everywhere he's going, people are coming to him or about to from this point to come to him. Agabus would bind his hands with Paul's garment and say, whoever garment this is, this is how he's going into Jerusalem bound. Everywhere he went, they would fall on him. They would weep. They would cry. They would say, when you go to Jerusalem, prison awaits you. You're going to be taken. Prophetic utterances of what awaited him when he would get to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey. But he, he was steadfast. In one place he said, stop, you're breaking my heart. Just please stop it. I have to go back to Jerusalem. 
And this is one of those stops. He was here already on his third missionary journey. He went through uh, Macedonia, down through Greece, and now he's coming back. Troas is a city on the, on the coast of what is now Turkey, Asia Minor. His next stop is going to be Ephesus, that great church. He's going to preach in the same chapter 20, a great message to these people. Uh, his farewell address, his swan song, his knowing where he's going, knowing what he's facing, he's pouring his heart out to these people who he's poured his life into. The, the, the folks in, in Asia and, and, and Europe that he's ministered to, these churches that he's established, that he loves, these folks that he's cared for and he's, and he's growing up, he knows he may never see them again. And he's pouring his heart out. He's pouring it all out. He, he's, he's taking time. Now, this is an all-night service. And the reason it's an all-night service, first, there's a few things to note here. It's the first day of the week. The early church worshipped on Sunday. It was not the Sabbath day. It was Sunday. It was the day that Christ was resurrected, the first day of the week. And they came together, and they broke bread together. We just had communion. They would have two, two meals. They would have what they called the love feast. We have a game dinner coming up. We have different times we get together. Father's Day pig roast we do. I'm sure they probably didn't. Maybe they did in Asia Minor. The Gentiles, this was a Gentile church. They might have had a Father's Day pig roast. But, I mean, we break bread. We get together and we, we have fellowship and we have food and, and we enjoy that. And then they also had the communion. And they would have communion every time. Now, I mentioned this for a little background because the background's important. Because why were they there at night? Sunday, to us, is a day off. Although many of us get wrapped up and i got to take the kids to sports. Now they have sports on Sunday morning and we get wrapped up into stuff. But for most of us, Sunday is a day off. And it's a day off because we live in a country that is, was founded by people of God. That it's, it's basically a Christian nation. And so we take Sunday off. It's our day of rest. And we get to go to church. But they didn't have that then. They were in the Roman Empire. They didn't have Sunday off. They didn't have any days off. So they worked all day, and then they went to church at night. And Paul, who was there, didn't preach a 40-minute sermon or a 15-minute sermonette. He, he's going to these people, and he's compelled to, to, to pour out his heart, to squeeze every drop out that he has to impart to them something because he realizes is the end for him. And it will probably be his last message to them. And if he stays there all night, it's, it's not long enough. But he wants to wring out every drop of what the Holy Spirit has given him to give to these people that he loves. And this boy, this boy was probably, this is a young, young man. He was probably a teenager, maybe 14, 16 years old. Most of the Roman Empire were slaves. Slaves in a different way, like a servant. And he was probably a servant. He probably worked all day long. When you read the commentaries, guys, well, they, Paul, well, Luke mentions that there were a lot of lamps and probably they got tired from the smoke of the lamps. Well, no one else fell out the window. He probably worked all day long. 
and wanted to go and, and longed to go. Never get to where you just burn out tired and wanted to go. Another thing that's important to mention here, when you look at the language, it says we and us. It goes from they and them to we and us. And what that tells you is that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, was with them. And that's important. It will be important later as we look, because Luke, his occupation was what? He was a doctor. He was a physician. He was able to look at this boy that had fallen from the third floor window and look at him and in his writing say, and he was dead. And I know dead, and he was dead. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't in a, a, an instant coma that was a two-minute coma. He was dead. I know that. I could verify that. So we have these facts, and they're kind of important to the story. They're in the upper room. In the upper room, upper room's a familiar place for us, right? We have upper rooms and acts. We have upper rooms all over. You know why they had upper rooms? Because they didn't have basements. They needed a big room. Sometimes at our Bible studies, we'll go, and like people start showing up from all over the place, and it's like, okay, we're going down the basement. You know, we don't fit in the living room. Let's go downstairs. We're going. Over. They had too many people. They were in homes. They didn't have church buildings. It was it was house house breaking bread and having fellowship. So I want to talk about the struggle. A work day. You've worked all day. You're at night. It's tired. You want to hear this message. You want to hear it. Maybe the last time you're going to hear from this guy that you love. It may be the last time for him that he gets to pour into you. You're going to do everything you can to get there because you really want to hear it, but you're tired. Again, I don't know that the tiredness was so much the, the product of the lamps and the lights and all the stuff. I'm sure that contributed. And, but, you know, I, I really think it was just the, he worked all day. He worked all day. You ever get so dropped down tired that you can't go anymore from the things you've done all day? You had to get up. You worked all day. Now it's night. I recall times, I mean, sometimes I still have them, not as bad as when I was younger. I would just roll the windows down, cold winter, crank up the stereo in the truck so loud that, you know, people thought I was like a teenager. And just, just driving and singing out loud and sticking my head out and trying to stay awake because I was, I was so tired. I had to do something to stay. I'm, I was dropped, dead, tired. I remember a time in 1969, now for this young guy, probably, I'll say he could have been 14 years old, it might have been the biggest moment of his life to hear the most significant message that a young Christian could ever hear, the departing message of the great Paul the Apostle, his swan song. He came to this church. He probably, this could have been the greatest thing that ever, that he would ever hear. When I was 14 years old in 1969, probably one of the greatest events of my lifetime happened. And I remember trying to watch it. It was the moon landing, right? And uh, in 57, the Soviets put little Sputnik up there in space. It stayed up there for a couple of weeks and then came crashing down. But it sent a, a message to this country that they're ahead in the space race. In the early 60s, President Kennedy would declare, we're going, we're going to the moon. 
we are going to the moon. He, it, it was a, a, a call of national pride and identity. We're going to the moon. And then in 1969, I was 14, and I remember watching it. And I remember watching when um, Armstrong, Neil Armstrong, came down the ladder and then followed by Buzz Aldrin. And he took that little step out there. And this is one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. You remember that? You know what I remember about it? I remember sitting in that chair, watching as hard as I could, nodding and coming back, nodding and coming back, trying my hardest to stay awake. And I don't know what I saw and remember to what I saw later and patched in because I kept waking up. I didn't want to miss it. It was such an important thing. It was such a big deal. But I was so tired. I kept nodding and nodding. I, I couldn't just really stay awake. You can't force yourself to stay awake when you're that tired. You do things. You splash water on yourself. You sing. You stand. You walk. I can recall times walking guard duty on a, on a pier um, with, next to railroad tracks and being so tired that as I was walking in the cold, bundled up in December, walking my post, I was falling asleep walking. I wouldn't sit because I do better than to sleep on duty. I kept walking in the cold and I kept falling asleep walking. There are times you get so weary, so tired, that you know it's of vital importance to stay awake. Whether you're watching a historic moment like Neil Armstrong take the first step on the moon or you're walking your post as a young Marine and you know better than to, you're going to stay awake, whatever you have to do. But it's so hard. It is so hard. I don't think this kid was going to sleep because of the lamps. I think it was the baggage. I think it was what he had gone through. I think it was what he had to do that day, that he had work to do. He had stuff to do, stuff that was important. And he did it, and he showed up tired. And that is important because we all have stuff that we wrestle with that we have to do, things that are important that we have to do. And they bring us to the situation tired and worn out. It's just life. It's just the way it is. Life happens. It brings us to that struggle. And that struggle is what's so hard. The tale that makes us not able to, though we're going to hear the message of a lifetime, this boy would be there And he's fallen asleep. And that struggle to stay awake, it brought him to some place. And where would it bring him? Him, it brought to the window. Not a glass window, just a big opening. You needed air, right, to come through. A big opening on the third floor, higher than this window right here. And it brought him there because he's trying to stay awake. 
And sometimes because of the struggles, because of the things that we wrestle with all day, our tiredness, our beat up, being beat up, it brings us to a decision. Other folks would say right in the middle of the pack, they would sit right next to somebody that they know and, and, and try and do stuff to stay awake. But his, his thought was different. His thought was, I'm going to go to the window. Going to the window sometimes for us is a defense mechanism. It's a flee. It's a running from the struggle. The struggle that we, you know, um, it makes us fighting tired. We fight tired, and then we fight tiredness. Fighting tired is when you're, you're so in the battle that you can't keep your hands up. You're so worn that you want to fight. You're trying to fight. You know you have to fight. You're trying to keep going with all that's in you. But your hands are so weak they go down. You, you can't hardly stand up. You want to quit, but you can't quit because to quit is to die. And you just keep trying and going. And you're fighting the opponent while you're tired. And you're, at the same time, you're fighting the tiredness that has you. It's different. You're fighting tired, but you're fighting an opponent, and you're tired, and you're fighting the tiredness to try to stay awake. Am I, you're getting what I'm trying to say? There's a difference. The two things are so closely related. I'm fighting and I'm tired and I'm not able to even defend myself. I can't even hold my hands up. And I'm also at the same time, I'm trying to fight the tiredness, the the baggage of my daytime, the baggage of what has me so worn down. As Christians, we get worn down and tired. We get tired of the struggle, tired of the struggle in marriage, in relationship, in work, with our kids, with picking them up at the police station, with with flunking out of school. We get tired. It wears us down. It just, the things that, you get anything that ever wears you down? Do you know what I'm talking about? Things wear us down. It's not the lights. It's not the smoke from the lamps. It's not the the late night hours. It's everything that, that I have gone through all day long and the day before that accumulates on me and presses me down. It's the things that, that just wear life just happens and it weighs me down. And I think that's why this boy had to make some decision to try to hear the message of a lifetime, to try to hear something he wanted to hear, knew the importance of it and wanted with all his heart to hear and to partake in, yet he was worn down. He'd worked all day. And life has a way of wearing us down in every area of it. It just gets us tired. And his way of dealing with it was to pull out, to disengage, and to go into the window. 
because the window appeared, well, these lamps, the smoke, I need fresh air. I need to do what Brother Frank would do, open the windows and, and as you're driving and let the fresh air blow on me and, and stop. I need to, to do something so that I can stay awake and what I will do to get out of the tired, out of the fight, out of this battle is I will move to the window. And a lot of times when we're in the struggle, we're in the battle, we look at it and we say, I need to back up. I need to back up. I need to catch a breath of air. I need to take a rest. I need to catch a breath. I need to back out of this thing, analyze it, and look at it, and see where it's going, see where I'm going. I need a rest. The rest is good. But a rest can take us to the wrong place. And I want to tell you the trouble with the window seat. The window seat is a defense mechanism. We sometimes we think about pulling away, backing off to recuperate. Is that what's needed? Oftentimes when we back away, it's not the cure because where we back to, we end up cuddling with the problem. I can't tell you how many folks I've talked to that had problems, the marriage was so, it was problems. Problem, problem, problem. It was burdensome. It was tiring. It was wearisome. It was so much a burden that they couldn't focus, couldn't do anything, and all could concentrate on is the burden. You don't know the weight. You don't know the struggle. You don't know the heaviness of this. We need, I need, so is one that will say it, I need some space. Just some space. I'm going to the window to catch a breath, to relax, to get freshened up, to get a new perspective. Our, my relationship is not good. I'm, I'm way down. I'm tired. It's just too much. I need some space. I'm backing off. I'm going to the window. My business is is just crushing me. It's too much. I need to get a rest. I know it's important, but I've got to back off. I'm going to the window. These kids are killing me. I need to back off. I'm going to the window. Sometimes the window seems like a great idea. But the window is not because it is a disengagement. It is a retreat. Now, sometimes, you know what? You need to back off. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking every single situation. There are times you need to go, right? There are times you need to run. But usually, what I have found is that when someone says, I need a break, I need to back off. I'm going to the window. It's a step. It's, it, it's the first step in the process. It's a setup to a get up. It's a way to set myself and position myself out the door. 
And usually, and what I have seen, is it's very destructive. Because it fulfills certain things. And, and the window is also a place of isolation. It is not a place in the middle of the pack. It is not a place of safety. It is a place on the periphery. It is a place on the edge. I'm pulling away. I had some folks tell me not long ago, don't talk to me. Don't call me. I need to get away with God and analyze a certain situation. And it was like they were getting, wanted to get away from everything so they could just be alone and just pray and meditate and analyze the situation. The problem was they pulled away from godly counsel. They pulled away from instruction. They pulled away from, from prayer and people. And all they thought they were alone, but they weren't. There was the siren song still playing in the background, still calling out, still the sound, the message of error and, and, of, and of pulling away was still playing. And so all they did, they didn't pull away and get into a vacuum with God alone so they could contemplate with God, what am I going to do and take a rest? They pulled away from godly counsel. They pulled away from a, a biblical authority and went to where the siren song was all that was there. The outcome was inevitable. I didn't have to wait for it to finally happen. That's what happens. The same thing happens every time that situation happens and plays out. The window is not always the best option. Tiredness is a fact. We all get tired. We all get beaten. And, And what do you do? The window is not always the best option. The best option is not always to flee. It's March. Is today the first? It's the first, right? March 1st. You know what that means? April, May. It means in less than two months, the striped bass will be moving up into Narragansett Bay. (laughs) For every time there is a season, and fishing season is coming. It is upon us. And one of the wonderful techniques of catching striped bass is the, the pogies, the, the manhaden, the bait fish. They form into big, giant schools. And sometimes when you're out there, you'll see the water, like, boiling. You may have seen it. Like, they're jumping. They want to get out of the water, but they can't. And they're trying. They're all trying to, like, leap out of the water. It's like the floor is... It's burning hot and I'm leaping to get off the floor. But I keep coming down. There's only so much I can leap. And I have to keep coming down and my feet are burning. And the fish are trying to jump out of the water because the big fish are below them. And they're hungry. And they want to escape. And the water's like boiling. And the birds, oh, we look for the birds. And we see the birds and we zoom over. Then we see the boiling water. And you, there's several ways to do it. But one way if you're, If you don't have a lot of money for bait, you just have this weighted treble hook, a big hook with a bunch of lead on it. And you put it on your line and you throw it into the pack of the little bait fish and you go like this and you say, and and sure enough, you hook one because they're so thick. And when you snag a pogey, a bait fish, you know what they do? They immediately run for the window. 
and they dive. They flee. And when they flee the safety of the school, they are eaten by the big fish. And of course, that's what you want when you're fishing because you feel the little fish on, you feel it go and you let it go. And then when you feel the set that hook and you reel in the delicious striped bass. When we run to the window, when the pressure gets so much, when the weight gets so much, when the tiredness gets so much, when the beaten down monotony of life gets so much, if we run to the window, we're not running to God. We're fleeing. And when we flee, we get eaten. The little lamb who says, I don't like the rest of the lambs. I'm not content to be in the flock. I'm going to the window and sit down there. You're usually sitting down next to the wolf that's hungry and waiting on the outskirts. The periphery is not a great place. It's not a safe place. It's sometimes something that we convince ourselves of because of the tiredness, because of the, 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 the baggage, because of how weighted down we are, because of, of we need a break. But when we seek a break by going on a break outside, it's destructive. It's a setup. It takes us outside of where we want to be. It's a setup to a step out. Isolation is not good. The sleep that flees to the window, he sits next to the hungry wolf, the sheep, and out the window. But it's not over yet. This boy sat in the window. You know the story. He fell out. He fell asleep. He fell out the window. Fell three stories. He's down dead in the street. They're having church. Someone falls out the window. It's like, I. We all run downstairs. There's a great picture of it. They all run downstairs. It's midnight. They take the lad up. They look at him. Dr. Luke is right there. That's why it's important to notice that Dr. Luke is with them. He goes up. He looks at this boy. This boy is dead. This boy is dead. Dr. Luke signs the death certificate. This boy is confirmed. He's dead. The people are panicking. This great night where Paul is like pouring his whole heart out. He's pouring everything into it. And all of a sudden we have this tragedy. And Paul looks at him. And he says, he's not dead. The life is still in him. That's familiar language. You know, we heard that Jesus would go to Jairus' house, and Jairus' little girl was laying there in the bed, and everybody was around weeping and crying. And she was dead, and Jesus would go and say, You guys all stay out here. Just you couple, come in here with me. And he would go and he'd look at her, and he would tell her, You know, tell the Kumi, little girl, arise. But before that, you know what he said? She's not dead, she's just sleeping. She's just sleeping. I need to wake her up. Lazarus was dead in the tomb for days. 
wrapped, dead, and buried. And Jesus would go to them in John 11. And before he even got there, he said, we have to go. Our friend Lazarus, he's sleeping. He's sick. Oh, if he sleeps, then he's doing well. No, no, no. You don't understand. Lazarus is dead. But he's only sleeping. Paul would take up this boy who is dead and say, he's only sleeping. And speak life into him. And bring him back up. And you know why that's important? Because we get tired. And we get beat. And we go in the window. And we run away. And we flee. But you know what God is saying? Your marriage is not done. It looks done. It looks dead. That marriage is not dead. There's life in it. The doctor may have signed a certificate that it's dead. It may look dead. It may not be breathing. It may not be a heartbeat. That marriage is as dead as a doornail. But I'm looking at it. And there's, it's not finished yet. There's life in that marriage. I'm looking at that relationship that is as dead as dead can be. But it's not dead. There's life yet in it. That business, there's life yet in it. That ministry, there's life yet in it. That calling, there's life yet in it. That relationship, there's life yet in it. You think it's over. It looks over. Take the pulse. Listen to the heartbeat. Look for breathing. Nothing is there. But God is saying, it's not over yet. It is not over yet. Rocky would have his great fight with Apollo Creed. In fact, there was this, in every Rocky, it was the same thing. He's down, he's done, it's over. Man, it was a tough fight. And all of a sudden, the crowd is applauding, and it's like, and Apollo turns around, and there he is on his feet. Oh, come on, come on. And Nick crying in the background, get up, Rocky. Come on, Adrian. Get up, Rocky. And the Holy Spirit, get up. Get up. It's not over yet. It's not over. Well, you think I go by heartbeat and breath and all those signs in that little machine on that little TV that goes, you think I pay attention to that? It's not over yet. It's not dead yet. There's life in it. It's taken a sleep. Get out of the window. Because God is saying it's not over yet. There's life in that marriage. There's life in that relationship. There's life in that ministry. There's life in that calling that God has placed upon you. There's life in it. Don't write it off. Don't flee. Stay involved. There's a saying. I tried looking it up and I have so many different things they take it back to baseball, and then some guys from basketball stole it. And, um, but it's, it's, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. And, and you know what it goes back to? It goes back to opera, German opera, where Wagner would have the heroine Brunhilde, the Valkyrie, at the last come out. And so German operas, or Italian opera too, the opera singers, they usually have a lot of Air capacity. <laughs> and so 
this Valkyrie woman would come out and, and sing at the end. And I love opera. So I kind of know, because I follow the program, um, you know, when it's over. But if you don't like opera and you have to go because somebody has a ticket or they're making you go, which is a lot of the time the case, and you wonder, when is this thing going to be over? When is this thing going to be over? It ain't over, the guy next to you says, until the fat lady sings. Then you know it's over. Then you can get up. Don't get up before that. Sometimes there's quiet spells. It ain't over. It's not over yet. Eutychus, it's not over yet. Church at Troas, it's not over yet. Sacred Exchange, it's not over over yet. God has more for us. God has more for you. Individual, it's not over. Married couple, person who's like in the window, like I, I just need a break. I just can't take it. Any, I know. I don't diminish that one bit. I am not saying the struggle is not a struggle. I am not saying that. I'm not saying tough it out. I'm not saying ignore it. I'm not saying any of that. I know better than that. I felt weight so much that you, it's like an iron, you're a fly, and it's a hot iron just ironing over you. There's no just resist it, just, just put on a happy face. Forget that. There are things that crush us totally, absolutely, powerfully, beyond anything that we're able to endure, crush us. If you haven't been there, hang around. The rest of us have been. You know what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is, God is not finished yet. Whatever you do, don't flee from where he has you and think the window is a viable option because it's not. Stay in the pack. Stay in the school and don't dive for the floor or dive for the exit because the big striped bass are waiting to devour you. And the enemy, like a roaring lion, is going about seeking whom he may devour. And I'm out of time. And it's not over yet. No, it's over. Stand with me. Wake up, Eutychus. Wake up, Eutychus. Eutychus, wake up. It's not over yet. There's life. There's life and you have to live it. You're here making a Struggle to keep your eyes open. It's the message of a lifetime. You love God. And the, the weights of all day, the toil, has just pulled you down a little. Wake up, Eutychus. It's not over yet. Take heart, friend. It's not over yet. In God, in God, when life is dead in every other way, God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. 
I thank you for including this story of Eutychus in your word. I thank you that, God, when we think it's over, when the doctor says it's over, when everything says it's over, that, God, it is not over. It is not over. That you make a way. You are the way maker. And you make a way. God, look through everyone here and make a way in the hearts of your people, God. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.